Hi everyone, my name's Yvonne. Um, we're about to have God's Word now. Uh, it's my privilege to read for us tonight. We're reading from the New Testament, Mark chapter 5, verses 24 to 34. In the Church Bible, that's on page 816. So Jesus is at Lake Galilee with his disciples. He's been healing the sick and he's taught many things by parables. He's on his way to heal a girl. So from verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Thanks, Yvonne. Good evening, everybody. Chapel Lane, my name's Andrew Robertson. I'm a member of the 1030 congregation. It's a real privilege to be here tonight as we wrestle with how God is trying to challenge us in that passage. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can have absolute confidence that you are our one true hope and future. As we look at the story of the bleeding woman tonight, I pray that you would touch our hearts and challenge us to be more like her and also, more importantly, more like you. Amen. I retired from the ABC, where I covered business and finance, about two years ago, and I semi-regularly get asked, do you miss it? On the whole, no, but if I'm honest, uh, every now and then an issue around things like superannuation or housing or corporate behaviour or the economy comes up, and I think to myself, it'd be really good to still have a platform to be able to contribute to the national discussion. But what I really miss about the ABC is lunch. I love a good sandwich, and the ABC headquarters at Ultimo is surrounded by cafes that make excellent sandwiches. And what I've discovered in the cafes around Norwest since my retirement is that a good sandwich can be very hard to get. In fact, in my view, the best sandwiches in this district are actually at Coles, especially if you can jag one on the day they're delivered. The writer of the book of Mark likes sandwiches. Six times in Mark, we see what theologians call intercalation, otherwise known as Mark and sandwiches. It's where Mark starts a story, inserts another story in the middle of that story, and then finishes the original story. In the last school holidays, Tom Israel preached on the raising of Jairus's daughter from the dead. In the middle of that story, we have the bleeding woman who we've heard about tonight. So to use the sandwich analogy, Jairus and his daughter had the two slices of bread and the bleeding woman in the middle. 
is the filling. The question is, why does Mark interrupt stories to add another one? What's he trying to tell us? And one more thing, Mark is the most punchy of all the Gospels that moves quickly from story to story to story. And to use my old industry as an example, Mark is more seven o'clock news than the more leisurely paced 7.30 report. The average length of a story on the news is a minute 45 seconds, but uh, I'm sure if you've been watching any of the news over the last two weeks with the death of the Queen, you would have seen reports a lot longer than that. Why? It's big news. It's not run-of-the-mill stuff. That's why Mark has inserted the story of the bleeding woman into the Jairus story, effectively giving Jairus some extra time. He wants to emphasise some very important points. He's saying, don't miss these. So what are they? Well, there's a few actually, but I've chosen three for tonight. Faith in Jesus will never be rejected. Faith in Jesus requires complete surrender and faith in Jesus changes lives now. The story of the bleeding woman, as I said, has been put here to emphasise some key points that we saw in the Jairus story. So let's refresh our memory. In verse 21 of Mark 5, when Jesus had again crossed over by a boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Remember those verses. They're the foundation. Let's move on. Verses 25 and 26 set the scene for the bleeding woman. She's an outcast. She's been like this for 12 years. That's a long time. Pete Stedman has been our senior minister for 12 years. So if this woman had been a member of our church and she'd come to Pete's induction service in 2010 and then her bleeding started soon afterwards, she might only be coming back to church at the moment. She'd notice a few changes. As she walked up the drive, she'd see our lovely new entrance vestibule. When she walked into the building, she'd notice the seats are facing a different direction. They used to face that way. She'd be amazed at how many people are here now She'd also be amazed at how some of the children in 2010 are now fine young adults. She'd be blown away by the deck out the back and she may or may not notice that I've got no hair. Twelve years is a long time. This woman had been to many doctors. None had been able to heal her. They'd taken all her money. She was broke. She was desperate. And then she saw Jesus. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. This woman was absolutely convinced that Jesus was the solution to her problems. If I just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. And she was. And Jesus says to her in verse 34, daughter, your faith has healed you. Do you see what happened here? With just one word, Jesus showed why he was so different to the world he lived in and the world we live in now. Daughter, your faith hasn't just healed you physically, you're in my family, you're in God's family. Let's put some context around that. This woman was the lowest of the low. 
Firstly, she was a woman in a world where women were just possessions and playthings of men. Add to that, she was ceremonially unclean, ostracised from the community, banned from the temple for 12 years because in those days, people classed as unclean were not allowed into the temple. And there's a great irony here, isn't there? This woman is not allowed to go to the temple to worship the God that people go to the temple to worship, but that God is standing right in front of her saying, of course you can come to me. I don't care that you're so-called ceremonially unclean. I don't care that you're a woman. I don't care that you're poor. Daughter, your faith has healed you. You're in my family. You're in God's family. There's a place in my eternal kingdom for you. This woman had been rejected by the world, but welcomed with open arms by God. You might be sitting here tonight thinking, I'm not good enough for Jesus. I don't have much to offer. Or you might be thinking, I've done some terrible things in my life, thought some terrible things, said some terrible things. Jesus says it doesn't matter. It's the future that matters, your eternal future. As he said to Jairus in Mark 5.36 in the second half of the Jairus story, don't be afraid, just believe. That is, have faith. It's the same thing Jesus said to Lazarus' sister Martha in John 11 as he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. In John 11:40, if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. Elsewhere in John, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And that wonderfully comforting passage in Matthew where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This woman who came to Jesus in faith didn't just have her bleeding stopped. She was now in God's family. She'd found rest for her soul. It's a promise Jesus makes to all of us. If you come to me, there's a place in my family for you. Well, what the bleeding woman had also done was surrender totally to Jesus. In verses 27 and 28, she reaches out in faith, and then in verse 33, she falls at Jesus' feet. If we go back to Jairus in verse 22, when Jairus saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet. So the rich, powerful church leader at the top of society approached Jesus exactly the same way as the poor, destitute, unclean, nobody woman at the bottom of society. I think Mark wants us to see this. As I prepared this sermon, I was trying to think of somebody whose feet I would fall at. I should say my wife, Anne, but she'd know that's not true. When I was working in television, I was used to mixing with celebrities and politicians and sports stars and high-flying business people, so I'm not overawed by them. In fact, I can't think of anyone who I would prostrate myself on the ground for. And yet these two people in Mark, at opposite ends of the social spectrum, did just that. They seemed to know who they were approaching. They seemed to know that you don't just rock up to God and say, G'day, mate, I've got a problem, can you help me here? How we approach God is very, very important. There's something else here, though. Twice in the passage, we're told, a large crowd gathered around Jesus, once in reference to Jairus and once in reference to the bleeding woman. Out of this large crowd, we're also told only two people approached Jesus. 
I refuse to believe that in a large crowd, everybody's life is going swimmingly, just like everybody's life here tonight is not going swimmingly. At the very least, the crowd in Mark 5 knew that Jesus was the miracle worker who could heal the sick, raise the dead, control the elements, and so on. Yet only two people approached him. We know who Jesus really is, and that's God. So I want to ask you, in the story of the bleeding woman, who are you? Are you the crowd seeing God right in front of you, the God who created the world, who came into the world to offer you salvation and an eternal future with him, who died a painful death on the cross for you? You watch, but you don't reach out. You go through the motions, come to church, listen to sermons, hear the Bible, sing songs, maybe go to community group, but you keep your distance from Jesus. Or are you the bleeding woman, amazed by Jesus, who knows her place, knows she's an outcast, knows her cause is lost, but also knows the only solution is Jesus, the Jesus standing right in front of her, a woman who falls at Jesus' feet, trembling with fear, surrendering completely, and who then hears those amazing words, daughter, your faith has healed you, a woman who experienced the mercy and grace of a God who loved her, loves us, more than she, we, will ever know. Is the bleeding woman the model for you, where you offer Jesus your whole life, not just bits of your life? In verse 33, when the woman fell at Jesus' feet, we're told that she told him the whole truth. The version of this story in Luke fleshes this out a bit. In Luke 8, 47, in the presence of all the people, she told why she'd touched him, and how she'd been instantly healed. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus got the now not bleeding woman to tell the whole crowd what he'd done for her, to spread the good news, and Jesus wants us to do the same, to be evangelists for him. In passages such as Matthew 28, otherwise known as the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples of all the world. Or Luke 9, Don't be ashamed of me and my words, and there are other passages like that as well. Are you ashamed of Jesus' words? Do you talk about him? Do you tell people what he's done for you? Is the gospel of Jesus front and centre of your mind every time you're talking to people so that if an opportunity to mention Jesus comes up, you don't miss it? Do you regularly pray for opportunities to talk about Jesus? Is it our desire for the people that we know and love to share in the eternal glory that Jesus promises for those who love him. As some of you here know, I'm a student at Bible College and a very helpful thing we were asked to do last session was to write out our testimony and then share it with someone. But not uh, as we Christians often think about testimony, how I came to be a Christian, rather what this lady in Mark 5 did the impact Jesus has had on my life now. Uh, I actually found it very cathartic, uh, very humbling and very emotional as I articulated the love and kindness that Jesus has shown me in my life. And listening to God's love and grace come from some of the other students uh, was also very moving. Uh, If you find it hard to talk about Jesus uh, at times, and let's face it, that's all of us, very much including me, can I recommend an exercise like that to you? It will crystallise in your mind your experience of Jesus, and then when the opportunity to talk about him does arise, it might just give you a starting point. 
And that flows into my next point. Faith in Jesus works now, changes lives now. We've already seen how the faith of the bleeding woman was instantly transformative. And in the second half of the Jairus story, in verse 42, the same thing happens. Jairus' daughter comes back to life. Just as an aside, though, Jesus is not promising to be a doctor. In all the explanations Jesus gives for his miracles, his focus is always the big picture, which is salvation. The miracles point to who Jesus is and what he offers eternally. Today, we have the Bible to do that. The bleeding woman and Jairus both met Jesus and it changed their lives forever. Meeting Jesus today through the words of the Bible also changes lives forever. One of the most moving things that I've heard here at Norwest Anglican is the testimony of a lady called Di Robinson, who's been a member of our congregation for a long time. Uh, Di has a severely disabled son. Uh, He's been that way since birth. Uh, And just as an aside, Di has given me permission to tell her story. Uh, Nick Robinson, who some of you I'm sure have met, is a lovely, intelligent young man. But not to put too fine a point on it, life for Di and his family has been very, very hard. It's not been the life they'd planned for themselves. There's been a lot of anger, and a lot of that anger has been directed at God. But Di is committed to Jesus, and her love for Jesus, and faith in Jesus, and joy in Jesus, has seen her anger disappear. When Di sat on this stage a few years ago, being interviewed by Pete Stedman, and explained how her heart had moved from, how could you do this to me, God, to thank you for allowing me to walk that path, I don't think there was a dry eye in the building. Di had surrendered to Jesus, just as the bleeding woman in Mark 5 did, and even though Nick remains disabled, Di's faith has changed her life forever. She's a powerful witness for Jesus, a powerful witness that faith in Jesus works now, changes lives now, brings joy now as we experience the undeserved mercy and grace of Jesus lifting the weight of sin from our shoulders. He gives us a new eternal hope and a changed heart which rejoices in what Jesus did for us on the cross. A heart which for Di Robinson says, your way, Lord, not mine. A heart which wants to live for Jesus right now in whatever situation she finds herself in, no matter how hard that may be. Which brings me back to my question earlier in the sermon. If you're like Di Robinson and the bleeding woman and you've surrendered in faith to Jesus, as I know many people in this room have, that's cause for rejoicing and we rejoice with you. Your salvation won for you on the cross by Jesus is secure. But lest you or I get too comfortable, as Pete Stedman observed in his sermon on 1 Peter 3 a fortnight ago, living for Jesus is a battle a battle to keep out the world and its culture and a battle against our sinful desires. How are you going in that battle? When you look in the mirror, are you sure that person is still living for Jesus, still loving others as ourselves, still living for others? We all fail and you're looking at somebody who fails regularly, but when we do, do we come back to Jesus seeking forgiveness, throwing ourselves at his feet like the bleeding woman in total surrender. And if you've never known Jesus as your saviour, like most of the crowd in Mark 5, you can change that tonight. Just as Jesus said to the bleeding woman, daughter, your faith has healed you, he's waiting to say that to you tonight. 
waiting to welcome you into his family, to offer forgiveness for sin and eternal life in his kingdom. All he asks is that just like the bleeding woman, you believe in him, reach out in faith to him, and the answer, as we've already heard, will always be yes. If that's something you'd like to do and you feel you need some help, any member of our ministry staff would love to talk to you, as I would too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of the bleeding woman who reached out to you absolutely convinced that you were her saviour. I pray she would be the model for us, people who surrender completely to you and who live for you, rejoicing in the victory you won for us on the cross and basking in your totally undeserved love and grace and mercy. Amen.